Found Live in three, two, one. Hi, and welcome to Found Live. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington. I'm joined by the robust and very sophisticated news site to my 1990s blog. Jordan Crook, very robust over here. That's right. Thank you to everyone for joining us this week. Found is TechCrunch's podcast where Daryl and I talk to founders about the stories behind the startups. We do it live on Thursdays, every other Thursday. And then when it's not us, it's our sister podcast, Equity. So tune in next Thursday to check out Equity. And then us, the Thursday after that, at Infinitum. That's right. And another note, just before we get going, if you're coming to us on Twitter or YouTube, you can still come and join the event live on Hopin, which is our interactive event platform. And then you get a chance to ask questions, and we may ask those of Matt if they're good questions. So that's free. That's free to register, but you just have to go into the Hopin link, and that's pinned to the top of our Found and TechCrunch Twitter accounts if you're on the spaces there. Okay, Jordan. Yeah, you kind of blew the, blew the intro. Like <laughs> I, I guess was I blew building up to bit. it. It's not really. <laughs> We're very excited today to have our guest on the show. We're joined by Matt Mullenwig from WordPress and Automatic. The script says banter. So, what's up, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad to be here. You know, TechCrunch has covered WordPress basically since the beginning because it started on WordPress back when it was just my. Right. Like on like a WordPress free WordPress.com account, so it's yep. been really cool over the years. We've both grown up a lot, and um, well, speak for yourself. <laughs> no, I think we're all right. We're okay. Yeah. <laughs> like I said earlier, like I'm actually a little under the weather right now, so you might get a a few extra feverish, honest answers <laughs> than normal. It is kind of wild, Matt, because I feel like of all of the platforms out there in the world, all the tech that I've ever used, I actually think WordPress might be the tech that I've used the most. I mean, for a third, think about it, Daryl, for a third of my life, at least five days a week, mostly like should be eight hours a day, sometimes six, five, whatever, depending on my (laughs) inspiration. I've been on WordPress. It's kind of wild. It's like just clicked for me. If I think about like time spent in the CMS, it is amazing. And also, Matt, you mentioned, you know, TechCrunch is on WordPress, but it it's far from the only publication that, that <laughs> claims that. And also the one I started out on it was GigaOM, which oh. you know OM very well, right? And yeah, then, you know, every one that I've been on since in between that too, like from there to BetaKit, which is a Canadian you know, startup publication. Stop reading your resume, to, bro. To kind of, <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> from the beginning of my working life, I've been on WordPress. And I bet a lot of people in the industry can say that. The, I mean, you came from a media start yourself, kind of. Well, you came, you built it. Let, I don't want to explain this. Why don't this. you, you let him take it away? This. Yeah. <laughs> That's the point of this podcast. <laughs> I'd love for you to tell this story. You're probably better. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. Very, very beginning. WordPress was just for blogging. And blogging was very simple at the time. It had no plugins, no themes. To modify it, you'd have to like open the code and like copy and paste code into certain lines. So it was very, very basic. But um, yeah, I got a job offer from CNET. So I dropped out of school in Houston, moved out to San Francisco. I worked for CNET. And for people who don't know what CNET is anymore, it was like (laughs) kind of the original internet media company. You know, they had like download.com, news.com, GameSpots, like a lot of they actually created what I think was the first CMS because they were the first to really have enough content that you had to manage it. And they were early WordPress adopters. 
So they were early to use it. Some forward-looking people there, like uh, Mike Tatum and the CEO's Shelby Bonnie, like recruited me to go work for them and kind of built some stuff for them and then helped them out with WordPress. Funny story is actually David Karp, who had later found Tumblr, worked yeah. with CNET at the same time. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And then full circle, you acquired Tumblr in, when, what are we, year, 2019? Or? Yeah, 2019. So wow. kind of full circle all the way. Yeah. And a nice tie-in for us, because you acquired it from our benevolent corporate overlords. Yahoo! <laughs> I have, Who we love very much. <laughs> before anything was announced, I remember did kind of like an all-hands with the Tumblr team, yeah. where I went in and like spoke to them and said, like, answered some Q&A and talked about it. And I remember looking over and there were some like TechCrunch writers at a desk, like, <laughs> like at the other end of the kind of Q&A area. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. They must be really good about not listening or just like yeah. not revealing the proprietary stuff they're about to hear about the acquisition and the price and everything. Yeah. Or, you know, just not very good at our job. <laughs> the two. But I remember that. Yeah. Because you share space. I think it was in the San Francisco office. They shared a floor at the time whenever this was. New York, but, yeah. Oh, New York. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 So very cool. I mean, but it's interesting path because you were working on WordPress. You created WordPress, but it, it was as an open source initiative first, right? Because I think a lot of people, and we kind of simplified it at the end by saying, you know, founder of, of Automatic and WordPress, but you were working on WordPress as this open source project, and it didn't become the monetized, the WordPress.com product until much later. And you didn't create Automatic until much later, right? It's about two years later. Yeah. So one year of doing WordPress, it got like a few users, a little bit of adoption. And I took the job at CNET. After moving to San Francisco, you know, WordPress really started to take off and it started to attract a lot of interest from investors. Mm. So I was very lucky that I was able to partner with some good ones, uh, like Phil Black, later become True Ventures, Tony Conrad, Tony Schneider, the journalist like Ohm, who really helped. He was never an investor, but like just because a journalist know what's really going on, he was able to steer me towards the better people in the Valley. Nice. And um, Ohm Malik, where he used to work. So that was really, really helpful. But when the company started, basically the ambition was like, could me and a few other folks get paid for doing this open source work. <laughs> like that was our, our measure of request. Could we pay ourselves a salary? Hmm. You know, I think we raised a million dollars on a $3 million pre or something or $4 million pre. So it was like definitely a very different time. Yeah. And that was called an A round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. so I'm going to stop doing my old man shtick now. Yeah, because I mean, no, but we, we would now be like, well, I guess that's your pre-seed or whatever, right? Like that. <laughs> yeah, they had to invent it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, that is it's such an interesting time to be operating, especially in that space, like at the, the beginning of sort of internet publishing, right? Like there was other stuff out there, like Blogger was around, right? And there were other, and like you said, a lot of people were still right in the code, like doing it sort of manually, directly in the HTML or whatever. But mm -hmm. I, I think our, our big thesis was that there was some proprietary software like Blogger, Removal Type, LiveJournal, et cetera. And there was some open source stuff. Mm -hmm. But our kind of idea was like, if we took like a nonprofit and a for-profit and were able to set them up in, in a virtuous cycle mm. where they would benefit, that working together, they could create something far better and bigger than either purely open source or purely proprietary software could create on its own. Right. You know, if we can get the best of like the usability, the commercial support, the everything from a for-profit and then like the community and the kind of like open source is, is good at becoming oh i'm so sorry that's funny that's own calling <laughs> is it actually <laughs> but he's the vip so he got through that's amazing uh, <laughs> speak of the devil yeah 
if we could combine <laughs> that open source and for profit, that a virtuous cycle that'll it'll just like create something that could become an internet platform. Yeah. So not unlike uh, you know Chrome has or Android has. Yeah, we're about 40% of the way so far. So about 40% of the top websites in the world from WordPress. And I think we have a path to getting to like 80 or 85% wow. on like Android on handsets or the Chromium engine for browsers. Because um, the cool thing about open source is like when proprietary stuff becomes more successful, it usually becomes more divorced from the wants and needs of its users. Mm -hmm. right. right? Like it sort of like gets that evil monopoly stuff or the commercial interest or the embedded growth objectives like start to diverge from its community. But when open source gets more and more successful, it kind of becomes even more distributed, more mm -hmm. like representative of its community because it has such a wider base of developers, of contributors. You know, when we do a major release of WordPress like 6.0, which came out a few weeks ago, 90% of the contributors aren't employed by my company automatic. Right. They work for other companies. They might work for TechCrunch. Yep. They might work for New York Times. They might be volunteers from wherever. And that really keeps it honest. It keeps it aligned with the wants and needs of the community. And also just make sure that it's a nice check and balance on both my power and the power of automatic. Yeah. <laughs> because if we ever went like the wrong direction, it would very quickly be forked and people would make their own thing. Right. OK, so that was where I was going to get to is like, how do you keep that incentive structure? Because, you know, you've seen other companies initially start out, like you're saying, like voice of customer is very important. And then later on, it's like, OK, but like our path to best revenue is maybe this way and we're just going to go that way. So is that check and balance like, oh, at any time the community can say like, well, now you've diverged with our interests so we can take this away and do our own. 100 yeah. percent. And there have been forks of WordPress over the years. Not usually for commercial reasons, usually for like product philosophy reasons. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't like the new Gutenberg editor or something like that. So people made a fork. But by and large, I think we've been able to navigate that tension. I think it's really nice to have those checks and balances on power for technology companies because technology is so naturally you get these like really, really massive competitive network advantages. Yeah. So it's nice to have a check on that power. But it's never really felt like a conflict to me. Because for me, it's just been more about like, how do we balance the short term versus the long term? Mm, okay. Like, I definitely think there were short term things that Automatic could have done to make more money at any point over history. Mm -hmm. But it would have long term probably taken oxygen out of the room for the community. WordPress would be a lot smaller. Maybe we wouldn't have as good employees. Or there's lots of reasons why probably we would have made a lot less over the long term. Mm -hmm. But when we start to think over five, 10 year periods... If we really project out like, OK, if we create a marketplace, how should we structure that? What do we want the long term economic incentives to be? How do we want the community to work? What percentage of the revenue in the community do we want to target to make? Mm -hmm. Should it be 50 percent? Should it be 5 percent? If we think long term, you get a good slice of a maybe infinitely bigger pie. And uh, I always felt like that's been very aligned. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I think you're a lone exception, I would say, like in the general. Generationally, right? Like, right. Because it feels like there's a new crop of founders around now who have learned a lot from the group that came before about that long-term balance, right? And like the awareness of how something with really good intentions can kind of be twisted into something super messy. And there's a very like conscious kind of focus on this double bottom line. And that's like kind of outlier for your crop of founders. Like when mm -hmm. you, you know, like when WordPress was launched was around the same time that people were really blind to what things would be, what this would mean extrapolated out to TAM 10 years from now, right? right. Yeah, you had a lot of enthusiasm, but you had no long-term view. Whereas it seems like 
all along you've thought about moderation as a key ingredient. Moderation meaning, you know, not going extreme, not actually community moderation, which is separate. We can talk <laughs> about that too. It's a whole other thing. Man, can of worms, right? Yeah, but it, it, that seems to be something that, that you've had by design from the beginning. And it doesn't seem like something a lot of your peers probably had at the same time. But to Jordan's point, do you see it now as a key ingredient that people are building into businesses in the technology industry? I think it's important to have the aspiration. Mm. And I would say most founders I meet with, especially in the beginning, have the right intention and philosophy. But you kind of need to pair that with something almost like a bill of rights for the users. Mm. And open source, particularly the open source licenses, I think are the best version of that we've found so far in technology. It's why that even more than WordPress, I plan to work on open source the rest of my life okay. and really try to propagate as much open source on the web. Mm -hmm. That is, if you look at the GPL, it's effectively like the Bill of Rights for the users of the software. Yeah. It actually restricts the developer's freedom to give more freedom to the end users, saying like freedom to use the software for any purpose, freedom to modify it, freedom to see how it works, and freedom to distribute those modifications. Those four things, when combined, you know, provide sort of a backstop <laughs> enforcement of the uh, aspirations that we've all started with, and it keeps you honest. Yeah. Even if, like, let's say, I would always try to plan for the day. Like, of course, everyone considers themselves benevolent. I consider myself benevolent. But let's plan for the day that I'm not running WordPress anymore. Right. Because I hope it outlives me. And let me actually assume that someone malevolent. Malevolent. <laughs> That's what you're going for. I was like, yeah. <laughs> that word. We gotcha. Uh, is running WordPress. How, even if someone with bad intentions was running it, would there be a check and balance between the community and the leadership to make sure that the economic or selfish interest of the leadership would actually be aligned with the long-term interest of the community. Wow. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's like building a, I mean, it's building a system of government, right? It's the same way that you would, if you're thinking to establish, you, I mean, you made the comparison to Bill of Rights, right? It's like sort of the intention behind that entire enterprise. Now, I don't know how well that's worked out. I'm Canadian, so I can make any criticisms <laughs> I want about your Yeah, country. good luck with that. <laughs> I, I think it's and so, like, you know, what's the equivalent in your business of the three branches of government? Right. What is allowed in technology that's hard to do in, like, government? Like, um, basically, succession in software is just copying and pasting the code. Mm -hmm. So a bloodless revolution is very, very easy. Or a coup. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I love crushing a metaphor down into tiny powder pieces. So this let's keep wonderful. going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really do love it. Like, that wasn't sarcastic. I do it all the time. <laughs> We, we do have a question here from oh, our old friend Drew Olenoff, yeah. Jordan, and yeah, Matt, you I probably know Drew as well. Man. He asks, did microblogging and the early rise of Twitter concern you at all? And how did it change the trajectory of the business and product, if at all? Mm -hmm. Interesting in the context of their Twitter longer product launch that they've just done, whatever it's called, Twitter Notes, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's funny. So I actually was far more focused and actually the best competitor we've ever had has always been tumblr mm. now what's happened is that in the past 10 years like every other social network has copied the best features of tumblr yeah <laughs> you know the tagging the multiple multimedia format types everything like that even twitter you know doubled its character length and allowed media being embedded and then just yesterday right launch notes so i think the key thing that we need to figure out as we want a more open internet is distribution mm. so that's part of why we acquired tumblr right part of why we're open sourcing it putting the back end on wordpress making the algorithms open source like we're really taking it in a direction of being very transparent and very open at scale mm -hmm. which you know there are open source social networks but they've always been pretty small tumblr is one tenth the size of twitter today mm -hmm. 
it's growing. So I think it could actually get to a pretty good chunk of that. And yeah, serve as a great on-ramp, easy social on-ramp to the open web. But right now, if you're a WordPress user, you're basically getting your distribution from someplace else, yeah. from Facebook, from Twitter, from maybe email mailing list would be the closest thing to like really owning your distribution. But uh, even then, you're kind of at the mercy of Gmail and other people filtering you. So I really want to get to a point where the means of distribution is in the hands of the people mm. <laughs> because it's in the hands of primarily social media companies who are driven by advertising, which I believe are economically long-term misaligned with publishers yeah and even if they sort of seduce them in in the little bit you know the original rug pull was not in crypto it was from companies like facebook and twitter yes that said come build a business on us we're a platform and then like kind of changed their minds and then literally would crush companies by changing their api removing access or something like that when they started to get too successful or when they decided that they wanted that money instead yeah, and we felt that many times over the years because so, there's been many rug pulls, right? But the, the Facebook one was significant. There was the investment in video. That one we felt yeah. very keenly in terms of like internally how the, the team was, you know, Built invested structure. in. Yeah, yeah. And then and then changed once that like went away, right? So it would be a they massive change. Was a What's this reporting? Wasn't there a mistake in the stats as well? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. They were they were totally for years, like just reporting erroneously what they were. And then we were kind of like passing those erroneous reports on to advertisers. So it was all built on that. By the way, I believe that was a mistake. I think that was a bug. That wasn't Oh, I don't think it was intentional. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But still, it's, <laughs> everyone's it's the like, thing. are they listening? <laughs> <laughs> no, we think it was totally. It was it's cool. Don't come to my house. But no, the. Uh, <laughs> But it comes to the point where you're talking about it. Like, it doesn't matter if there's malice or if there is intent, right? It's like about building in checks and balances so that when these things are caught by the community quickly and then like corrected ideally, because it's like built into the fundamental structure of how you build the product, right? Totally. Yeah. To tie it back. It but. seems pretty <laughs> it seems pretty obvious, but like, Matt, what's your take on what's going on with Web3 and like how is automatic thinking about that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I, I was just telling someone the other day, like, if there's a bright side to the crypto crash, at least for me, it's that I don't get asked our Web3 strategy every, every day. <laughs> oh, sorry to ruin that fun for you. I went like two weeks without being asked it, but... Uh... <laughs> okay, good. Enjoy that. I'm glad for you. I'm also the least suspecting person to, like, crash that party, but here I am doing it, so... Uh, I think what I love about at least the stated principles of a lot of these things is... You know, a lot of crypto projects and Web3 stuff is open source, mm. which is beautiful. You know, Bitcoin is open source. Ethereum is open source. People forget these are actually open source projects, just like WordPress is, which is pretty neat. Mm -hmm. Many are not, by the way. Right. <laughs> but, you know, at least those are. What I think has been challenging, at least as like we've experimented with it and others, is just getting like mass adoption of these things. You know, I don't really believe in the versioning of this, like Web 2, Web 3. But if you think of the companies that were sort of seen as Web 2 companies, including Flickr, WordPress, Twitter, you know, those, they were always pretty broadly adoptable, mm -hmm. like without too much technical ability, really. They were sort of making things easier to use. And so increasing the adoption. I have found through my career, because I'm a little bit of a philosophical zealot, mm -hmm. to be honest. Yeah. I'm like a, maybe closer philosophically to like a, a Richard Stallman. <laughs> But I, I think you need, you know, they say in a revolution, you need a Malcolm and a Martin, right? So I think that when I've tried to get very open technologies adopted, but they weren't actually easier to use, I failed every time. Mm. And I see some of Web3 
run into the same thing where it maybe is like philosophically more pure mm-hmm. or gives more adoption, but requires managing your wallet is hard, or maybe it's easy to lose things or it's easy to get fished or much in the same way that like with WordPress, it's designed so you can run it anywhere. Mm-hmm. You can run it yourself on your own server, you can run it on a Raspberry Pi, you can run it on Bluehost, you can run it with us, you can run it on AWS, you can run it anywhere. But for most people running it yourself, it's not recommended just because there's a technical burden to doing so. You yeah. need to make sure not just your WordPress is up to date, but all of the underlying server software for it to be truly secure. So there's a, there's kind of a technical burden. And I think it's the same thing with like managing your own keys. <laughs> like I love it philosophically, but I do wonder whether we yet, yet have the sort of like operating systems and web infrastructure to allow people to do that in a fully distributed, secure way that's also really usable. And it's basic prosaic things like, what do you do when someone loses their password? Mm-hmm. How do you do account? What do you do when someone passes away? You know, right. um, so you kind of want some humans involved in this process at different points for the same way, like our legal code in the US is not code that's executed. Right. And that's a good thing, because sometimes you might want a human, a judge or jury to interpret it in a way that allows for recognition of the common sense of a situation versus a just blind administration of something that was written years or sometimes hundreds of years ago mm-hmm. yeah that's very interesting we came back to the like, government too did you see we how did come back to government let's go i like that but i also like that you're i think there's something that whenever i talk to people about the value of sort of web3 or blockchain or any of that the main point they get it is like look we can reduce cost immensely by eliminating middlemen right is essentially the way that they're talking about it but that ignores something you brought up which i don't see discussed very often which is like middlemen have an immense amount of value in a lot of processes right like interpreters people who do the synthesis they're not just there to take one thing from one end and pass it to the other right like and then extract value that's the nefarious characterization of them right i'm just here to pass the potato to the next guy and then i take a big chunk of the potato as it goes on right but that's not actually what's happening they're coming to you and it's like this potato uh i don't oh, actually it's like quite complicated like you own the creative rights to the potato and you own the, the whatever this is the metaphor is terrible now speaking of crushing metaphors jordan i don't know what the hell i'm talking about anymore but you matched it <laughs> definitely matched it yeah But it's like a point that is lost when you're trying. It's like you're talking about, like they're looking for that purity, right? And the purity has an appeal in like the basic concept or the precept that it originates from. But then like it's lost entirely if you have no sense of like flexibility upon how it's actually executed. I think that's and this is where I think the role of actually governments and regulators can be really viable because sometimes middlemen do become rent seeking and they don't add as much value as they're capturing. But I think over time, assuming a functioning political system, like that sorts itself out. And if you look at like payments are pretty good, you know, call it 2.9%. As we've gotten into WooCommerce and e-commerce, which, you know, WooCommerce did 31 billion of um, GMV last year. Mm. I've become very intimately familiar with like the whole payments and financial infrastructure Mm -hmm. sports online commerce. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there, including around protecting fraud, getting your money back if your information gets stolen chargebacks and the resolution there and balancing the needs of the merchant with the needs of consumers. And even at 2.9%, which is pretty easy for most businesses to support, there's downward pressure there as well. Mm-hmm. And if you look at UPI in India or other sort of newer payment systems, I could see that coming down. But it's probably never completely zero mm-hmm. because there is value to be created in the middle there and some reward for for giving that value. Not unlike there's gas fees and things in Ethereum, like they recognize as well, there's middlemen there yeah. effectively, right. the validator. So I think that, um, but having that 
that middle have some flexibility, I think is a feature. And also, I think having governance being able to evolve over time is also a feature. Yeah. And we've seen some of this with, oh, even the DAO vote the other day that was like the whale that was liquidating. I forget on which network it was, but like they themselves have seen some of the flexibility needed in unusual situations or crisis situations. Right. Yeah. And they are, they've shown willingness to step in and kind of like modulate the original principle when it needed. Right. I think it's evolving, but I think you're right in that the distinction is as that evolution happens becomes blurrier than like the web two web three thing is like well i mean maybe some of the underlying infrastructure is different but not necessarily it's not a generational step change from one thing to the next you still need it at the end of the day to be easier yeah so i think maybe we can all agree that like check cashing companies are exploitive and bad mm-hmm. right they're exploiting charging usurious rates to the sort of most financially vulnerable members of at least the United States society. But if you were to compare like how much crypto has helped that community versus maybe Cash App with Square, like Cash App and and others like that, Venmo, et cetera, have done a lot more to like bank the unbanks than getting those folks Coinbase wallets or whatever else would be the equivalent. Yeah. I do want to get back to something you said about Tumblr, though, and being like, it's a vision for Tumblr eventually that Tumblr is sort of the combination of like a a Twitter and a WordPress in some ways, or somehow it can unify the two so that you're directly broadcasting to your audience, but also it's the the content platform. Fully. 100%. Okay. Great. I'm very excited about that because I'm tired of being beholden to different channels as well, right? And their vagaries. So... I'll say that someone who also loves Twitter, like I'm a yeah. little bit oh. hooked on Twitter. Like yeah. I'm sure a lot of us are. I just want there to be an open alternative. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want you to be able to choose your algorithm. I want the defaults to be a lot more about we're trying to make Tumblr really a space for art and artists. Mm-hmm. So it's where you can go. I want to be a social network that people visit and feel better when they leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you're not doom scrolling. You're like joy scrolling. Yeah. And I'll say anecdotally, there's a lot of evidence that that's how people feel about it already at least maybe but maybe more in a nostalgic way so i think that's the work to be done is like a lot of people at least on our staff have very fond memories of like of growing up on tumblr and being like you know young adult on tumblr and just like enjoying the community and everything there but it's always kind of a fondness for the past so maybe that's the ingredient there that needs fixing Uh, i'll tell you the wildest stat about tumblr Uh, is none of us or in the primary demographic. Oh, well, maybe uh, that's we just stage out of it. It's probably the real problem, right? 60% of Tumblr users are under 25. Mm. So it's actually Today? I as well before we bought it. That was like nostalgic people who used to use it, who stayed on. Turns out we all left. The older people all left. Uh, like the new kids basically got on because it was someplace where their parents weren't or they could try on different identities or be anonymous or connect more with like art and be weird. Yeah. Versus like the more like cookie cutter social networks that really try to keep you in a very narrow path so they can better monetize you, basically. Yeah. Well, that makes me just more sad about me. <laughs> I grew yeah. into old old guy Twitter. <laughs> this is where I belong. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Have you ever wanted to do something new, Matt? Not that WordPress isn't always changing and innovating, but like, you know, there are a lot of founders get something going and they get to this like huge growth stage and mm-hmm. you have such a massive share of the market. Like, do you ever want to go back to zero and start something new or is that not really of interest or top of mind? Well, I consider myself really lucky that the structure of Automatic, which is you know the CEO of and the funding and everything for it has allowed us to expand to a lot of new areas. Mm-hmm. So I can 
you know, go into e-commerce and try to create an open source Shopify, which we've done with WooCommerce. Or actually since February, I've been CEO of Tumblr and kind of very hands-on with that product, kind of finishing the turnaround that we um, started when we acquired it. Uh, We have a podcasting app in Pocket Cast, which is really fun. We have the number one journaling app, which is sort of private encrypted blogging in uh, day one, which you know has won App of the Year awards from Apple. Like there's so much in there. So both through acquisitions and through launching new things, we tried to design automatic kind of like a digital Berkshire Hathaway mm. where we can acquire things, we can invest in things. You know, we've invested 30, 40 million dollars in other companies. Like we have a lot of flexibility in how we operate towards our mission of creating more open and free and democratic internet. Mm-hmm. But we can do that by partnering, <laughs> building, buying, creating from scratch, growing something. Like we, we have almost infinite flexibility in our corporate structure and our LP base, our investor base, basically to do so. Yeah. And you mentioned like when you were talking about all those products, it's just like you're tackling different aspects of your online life, right? You're doing your... Your public life, your sort of like shared persona, your broadcast persona, your purchasing life, your consumer, your life as a consumer on the web with the e-commerce and your private life with the diary. Is that kind of how you think about the approach to what products you enter into next or what categories or how do you make those decisions? See, the fundamental driver of our decision making is very much can it complement our operating system layer? Because mm-hmm. WordPress is really like an open operating system for the web. And so is a product that we're moving into complementary. And some of that might not be obvious. Like day one, I think is highly complementary to an open web because you also need a space for your private thoughts. Mm-hmm. And you know, if it's truly private, like let's say you're a therapist taking notes on your patient, or you know, bribing uh, a diary that you were keeping. Yeah, don't put that on the web. Right. Keep it fully encrypted. Day one has basically the same encryption as one password or other mm-hmm. password manager. So that's like a truly secure place. I can tell you, yeah. Put the stuff that's really important private, it'll synchronize. But even on the servers, there's no way we could ever access it or decrypt the data. So like from a very technical level, does the architecture of the product support the end user goals of it? And I think that's just really important. So to me, there's a a path there, Mm -hmm. you know, like publishing is great, but also people want to make money from that. So like, how do we enable that? And WooCommerce supports subscriptions, memberships, selling physical goods, selling digital goods, renting things like this. It's kind of because it's open source. It's kind of supports the whole range of economic activity. And then what does that enable? You know, WooCommerce is kind of where WordPress was in 2008. Mm-hmm. It's really a developer first tool that, you know, we're now trying to make more easier or trying to make easier to use. What does that look like 10 years from now? And maybe it's doing 500 billion or more of GMV threats. And there's now this economic layer can be open source and give people freedom of choice as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So I think the other question that we wanted to ask that definitely is something right up our alley for all of our founder communities, but you are a very rare exception. Like we always ask about your growth as a leader. You have maybe the longest like unbroken chain of <laughs> leadership responsibilities that at a single company that you are involved in as founder. So like what? How has that been for you? How has been your growth? I know you talked about being very consistent when it comes to, you know, your fundamental beliefs around mission, I think. But what about as, you know, a leader of people as a manager? Yeah, the soft skills, yeah, of the people around you. It's a good question. You know, again, it started when I was 19. Yeah. (laughs) I'd say I feel like I was really lucky that I connected with people like that I mentioned earlier, like Omalik, to really help me through those early years. Mm Because that was really, I was not good at a lot of these things. <laughs> we built a team. It's really been all about the team from the very beginning. You know, I had a co-founder with WordPress. Uh, Tony Schneider joined very early as the CEO of Automatic. Like building that team to 
compensate for really my weaknesses and my inexperience. And what's cool is that we're we're still working together. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That's been nice. we've learned and grown together. You know, automatic has an incredibly high retention rate. So our regretted churn is only like 6%. So people tend to stay at the company for a long time, which means that sort of learning and development is doubly important because if people are staying, the world is changing really rapidly. How do we make sure that our leaders or even our individual contributors are like, growing to keep up with the latest technology. There was a point when, you know, the future of WordPress was clearly JavaScript and we had, you know, a hundred of the best PHP developers in the world, but none of us were very good at JavaScript. So we all had to like go back to the beginner's mind and like learn this new language and new way of developing and new everything to keep WordPress relevant for the next decade. And we did that. So how I think about that for myself is how can I increase my self-awareness? How am I getting really raw, candid and honest feedback from those around me? Mm -hmm. How am I surrounded by those that uh, both have complementary skills and the ability to call me out when I'm wrong, which happens all the time? And uh, yeah, and then just what's the iteration cycle? You know, how are we? Because it doesn't even matter what you're doing internally. Ultimately, the the ultimate boss is your uh, your customers, yeah. your community. So <laughs> how are we publishing yeah. frequently? How are we getting things out there? Like, are y'all still happy with WordPress? What what features do you want? <laughs> what you know? How is that? Uh, for every one of our constituents, how are we being responsive to what they need in our endeavor to make our products both kind of more intuitive and easier to use and more powerful at the same time, which is hard to do, especially over the 19 years that WordPress has been around when the technology substrate has changed so much. Yeah. You know, introduction of JavaScript, introduction of the iPhone, mobile platforms, everything has happened since we started. And it's hard 19 years later. We're not just growing as fast as we used to. We're actually growing faster mm -hmm. than we used to. And that's because of that flywheel I talked about earlier. When open source, you know, you get more users, you get more developers, the product gets better. Then you get more users, you get more developers, and the product gets better. Mm -hmm. So, so how do you do the the part in there you mentioned that I would think would be most difficult is like ensuring that you still have people who will be very honest and candid with their feedback and who will call you out when you're wrong, like. That is the thing that I think I see most often with people who achieve a, a fair amount of success and are in the top spot, like they tend to be insulated against that, right? Either by their own doings or by people around them because it serves them better to have that be that way, right? So how do you actually practically go about doing that? Well, some of that was just luck. You know, I won the ovarian lottery <laughs> <laughs> growing up uh, with a pretty tight-knit family, including two really strong Texas women and <laughs> my mom and sister. So just first and foremost, they keep me honest. I'd say, you know, make friends with journalists. <laughs> journalists. <laughs> I'm lucky to have had Ome in my life since the very beginning. You know, journalists will always call you out. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're known for that. I think just look for that. Because it's not just having people that will call you out. It's like, what do you do? How do you respond when they do? Mm -hmm. Anyone who cares about you will want to see you do your best, whether that's you know, a partner, a friend, a family member, anything. But it's like, what do you do when you get that feedback? Naturally, we're all going to be defensive. Yes. Like, oh, that's not me or that's fine or I didn't do that. But like, how can you really take that as regardless of whether you agree about it or not, but something that's coming from a place of care from that other person? And there's some wisdom in it, regardless of how the delivery mechanism is. I actually really appreciate our haters and trolls and mm. people who, who hate me, who hate WordPress, everything like that. Like, I try to read that and engage with it. Not because I always think it's right. Often I disagree with it, but I'm like, well, this person's passionate and there's some belief they have. How did they arrive to this? Mm -hmm. What was their experience? What was their kind of, if I were walking in their shoes, would I have ended up in the same place? Because maybe, 
Maybe their site got hacked and they couldn't fix it. Or maybe something happened to them that uh, led them there. And so if you really dig in, there's usually some real nugget of wisdom there. And yeah, and the good news is, like, if you don't do this, the market also wakes you up. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't do it, your competitors will. So (laughs) at some level, like just a free and open market will be uh, keep everyone honest in the end. But you'd rather it's the former situation, probably, where you actually (laughs) realize it before the market does. But I think, I mean, I really think you mentioned your luck in terms of family and just kind of like who you are. But like, that is what, I don't know if this is true, but anecdotally, I've heard that you are, you know, just the most humble, down-to-earth person and that you always have been. And that I remember stories, this is a while ago now, but still you're very successful of like, oh, Matt Mullen will, will give you a ride. If you happen to be in town and like, you need a ride, he'll come and pick you up. And like, I think at the time they were like, you know, it has a terrible K car or something, but he'll come uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll, and he'll give you a ride. Like, have you retained that? Has that helped? Or how do you, do you have to make a conscious effort to do that? I know this is going to make you very uncomfortable because I'm basically asking you to brag about your humility, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, some of that probably happens a bit less. I do have a lot more responsibilities on my time mm-hmm. because automatic now, 2,000 people, even the WordPress community has grown so much that I do feel stretched thin a lot more than I used to be. Mm, yeah. And yeah, just as you become more successful, sometimes you do get more folks coming after you. Right. More folks wanting rides. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if there were someone listening to this who were in the same situation, I would say the best hack for staying really connected is customer support. Mm. So... I just go in anonymously. It doesn't. Well, sometimes I'll do it just when people reach out to me, like friends and family or people on Twitter. I'll just try to help them. But like, actually, if you can go into whatever your help desk is or live chat or something like that, just anonymously and start like helping some people that use your product. Gosh, <laughs> they'll be super honest with you. <laughs> like whatever you think your problems are, you're going to learn a lot. I guess user test is another version of this, like when you do some sort of recording with real users. But yeah, I would say, you know, frontline customer support, customer service is um, one, one of the most important jobs in your company, because these are the people that are really the face of your company mm-hmm. to everyday users. And two, if you uh, if your company's gotten really big, you feel a little more disconnected from the community, the best way to reconnect. Right. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Culture. So everyone who joins Automatic does two weeks of customer support to start. Nice. And then every single person in the company rotates back at least one week per year back into customer service. So we've tried to build it in just as a regular thing to our culture. What's the vibe of that among employees? Are they like, I got to go back to customer support for a week? Or is that like a thing they look forward to, like flexing different muscles in their brain? Or like, is there like a general consensus or do people feel differently about it based on their job? I think it's a range. Mm, if I'm really honest, I'm sure some people in automatic hate it and like wish we would get rid of it. But <laughs> I think it's really important for those people too. And in the beginning, the most common thing is people think they're not going to be able to do it. But our kind of secret hack is that doing the customer service is part of the onboarding and how we train you. So you're not just thrown into the deep end of the pool. Like you're actually paired with another what we call happiness engineer or customer support person, who by the way is really friendly and nice. And it's kind of like paired with you like teaching you in the teaching you how to answer the customer questions. They're also teaching you our internal systems, how our products work, you know, some of the automatic culture, everything. So it's a little right. bit of a sort of applied onboarding that both tries to instill that the customer is the most important thing in the company, far more than your boss or anything like that. And kind of teaching you our systems at the same time. Yeah, I think, Jordan, we should implement something like that, but I don't know how what it What does that mean? Just sit on Twitter and just wait? Yeah, we would, we would, well, maybe we comes. should do a hotline for like, 
complaints about TechCrunch, and then people just that sounds great man the phone or whatever for a little while. Maybe responding and moderating the comments. Well, we know, don't tech, we don't look at those. We don't do comments <laughs> anymore. No, I mean like everybody has their own Twitter. Their Twitter auto publishes their story. That's true. We attach the it. handles, right? It's so, live. Yeah. It's happening all the time. Like we are customer support. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned offhand, just like, if there are any problems. And you know, like, because we had some times, right? And I think one of the transitions, like, to when mobile was really coming up, and there were some, diff- there was a lot of challenges there where people are like, oh, I really want to be able to get it on my phone. And the experience wasn't really one to one. But honestly, mm-hmm. like, it's been so stable. And I, it's really, that is the other thing that just is amazing about kind of WordPress and what you've managed to accomplish is that you open it up and it still feels, like a product of today, today, despite the fact that it's now, you know, 20 years old. But it also doesn't feel like it's changed that much either. That you feel lost like, or uncomfortable. I am not, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's like, oh, it looks and feels totally new, right. you know? And then you're like, wait, where's all my shit? you know? <laughs> it does both at the same time, which is, I don't, pretty difficult. You know, I'm the kind that like throws a fit when yeah. there's if an the update to anything. If the button is moved and Jerry yeah, can't I'm find like, the button. no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'll write like long diatribes on the on the website about it. But to survive, we have to move the button sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I really admire about is think of the dominant platforms today of like Android and iOS. I think they have like a longer term vision, at least in my head. They have a longer term vision for where they want to go, but they know that they're going to need to take people incrementally. So mm-hmm. they do a little bit of it each release each year. And we're trying to do the same thing that I think they're really good at, which is like we have a vision for where we need to go to be relevant five, 10 years from now. But we know that we're going to need to take you a version at a time there. So we'll just do a bit of it at the time because I agree when you do that kind of like total redesign, everything's changed. You lose one of the most valuable assets any popular product has, which is like the knowledge of your user base, the familiarity of them with um, how to use it. So at that point, they're like, well, I have to learn something new. Maybe I should learn something brand new right, instead exactly. of staying with the thing, which now I'm annoyed at. Yeah. No, I think I think maybe you're giving too much credit for some of the larger platforms, but I'm glad that you adopt that strategy. <laughs> like, let's get to the five years slowly. I think a lot of theirs are made more off the cuff. Their decisions. <laughs> no special knowledge of that. We already asked about crypto, so I have to. I just because I'm very curious about your thoughts on the metaverse. Whether you think the metaverse is a real thing, will be a real thing? Will people publish yeah. and create in the metaverse? I mean, it like is a real thing to some extent right now, right? Sure, yeah. Ish. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm very much in the like, it's really fun to play with, mm. you know? VR platforms are, are really fun. Some of the games are awesome. I can't wear it for too long. Like the hardware is still, but you know, look back at the original iPhone. So if, if we can follow a similar curve there, perhaps it could be something that people could use more of the day or is like a more immersive experience. I know there's challenges right now around like certain refresh rates and things like sometimes make people nauseous. So like, but let's not forget that screens are really beautiful and great too. Yeah. (laughs) There's something magical about this. Like it's kind of like a tricorder from Star Trek, right? Like we have this glass slab, which can transform into like anything, which is actually truly magical. It's a thing that we take for 100% granted today. If you went back 20 years, we'd be like, this is sci-fi. This is like 100 years in the, like the, ultra wide band, super fast wireless, always connected with Starlink. It's going to be now on the entire globe. Yeah. Like that is, that's wild. Yeah. And so I do feel like hopefully like VR and AR experiences can become something that we use more, but it's hard for me to imagine just from like a ergonomic point of view and like a, an integration with our lives point of view that we're not still going to have screens 
or something like a screen for just the foreseeable future. Yeah. I think it's just nice not to have something on your head or face all the time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, I enjoy exploring it, and but I can only do like sort of very, very sort about of like belt buckle or like lapel pin holograms. Right. That's something like that. Great. That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. Go that's for what it. I'm working All on. right. That's Jordan's startup. Yeah, I think we're going to invest into our biology. I think it gets <laughs> yes. fully integrated from there. Like, find me up. I'll be the first to like, oh, really? wire it. You're volunteering? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's yeah. good info. It is good info. But we, we were talking, I was talking to a space founder about this yesterday, like the exact phenomenon you're describing. But on a, to me, this was the most shocking scale was that we'll get pitches now pretty regularly from Blue Origin. And they'll be like, oh, we have another, you know, private space flight going up. And they'll say, okay, you know, they, there's five new private astronauts going up. And we go, okay, who are they? And they're like, oh, it's this person. This, and we're like, I don't recognize any of those names. Maybe we'll get you next time. <laughs> like wow. wait did people going to space and a private tourism suddenly become f- like fine like normal just like the like that's something you take for granted just like your phone right and just having that realization was my goodness how quick we are to adapt to things like that right? <laughs> <laughs> well thanks very much Matt. i think we're out of time but are you going to space anytime soon if you want to announce it here once you get your biometric, uh, we'd cover that tech. one. We'd cover that one. I promise. That's exciting enough. For me. We would cover that. That's something I don't want to be an early adopter on. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm like way more normal than now. Like, let's do a few million of those. And I would love to do it someday, but I'm definitely not like lining up to be first. I'm not either. <laughs> okay. All right. Anywhere there, where there's too much pressure or lack of oxygen, I'm just not interested. So undersea either, Jordan doesn't want to. No, yeah, I, I actually am worse about undersea because at least when you go up to space, you're like, oh, you could see the earth and all this stuff. You go under the sea, you're just seeing like monsters and <laughs> shit. Like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Okay, well, I can I solve both your problems that. with an implant that provides you <laughs> a fully. An immersive yeah, an experience immersive of those things. Yeah, immersive experience of those things where you're perfectly safe. So we'll get right cool. on that and we'll have it for you next time you're on, hopefully, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> quick development process thanks a lot found is hosted by myself TechCrunch news editor daryl etherington and TechCrunch managing editor jordan crook yashad kulkarni is our executive producer we are produced by maggie stamets and edited by cal keller TechCrunch's audio products are managed by henry pickovit you can find us on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and on twitter at twitter.com slash found you can also email us at found at techcrunch.com and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.